0: Welcome to the Hockey HockeypedioCast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me, graciously giving us time during his vacation, my good buddy, Thomas Dranz. Tom, what's going on, man?
1: I'm really bad at taking vacation.
0: Yeah, you were like, (laughs) all right, day two of vacation. How can I spend it? Let's talk free
1: agency, baby. In fairness, you asked me. I did, yeah. You don't often. Yeah. So I decided I'd come in, do one show with you. It's my last show for the rest of the month of July, and then we're going to... Go have some pops and watch Mission Impossible. So it's it's all good.
0: Yeah, I play the friend card in return. Uh, I will allow you to send me as many notes on our uh, league rules for our fantasy football league <laughs> as uh, as your heart desires. Although I would allow you to do that anyways. Yeah. Uh, so I did part one earlier with Harmon to kickstart uh, our kind of catch up of what I missed between shows.
1: And now you're using the other side of the Athletic Vancouver hive mind. That's that's right. <laughs> um,
0: and we're gonna try to you know pick up where we left off there's still plenty of meat left on the bone we talked about a few key topics with harm but obviously there's so much ground to cover so we couldn't do it all so hopefully you and i will be able to fill in the gaps here today let's start with the new jersey devils Mm. and this one kind of feels like cheating a little bit because initially when i was thinking about the concept of the show i was like all right let's kind of focus on free agency and winners and losers or what teams did and the devils didn't really do anything on the unrestricted free agent market, right? They just kind of handled their own business. And that's actually why they are the big winners, because they essentially built out their team or kept all their key players through much more efficient means than going out and spending in the UFA market.
1: The extensions to me are the biggest part of what the Devils did this summer. And and you know, eight and a half for Timo Meyer, but the structure of the deal is is extraordinarily team friendly yep. and Doubly so because Timo Meyer had a ten million dollar QO. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's really hard to emphasize just how volatile and interesting that makes his situation. Right? Yeah. I mean, we've basically never seen a ten million dollar QO on a second contract, certainly not a second contract bridge. We'll never see it again because they've literally changed the rules. And so to navigate that the way they did. And get a pretty team-friendly agreement done despite it, and to get Jesper Bratt done yep. at a good number, given the way that Brat bet on himself, and then that paid off, and yet the Devils still come out with a f- team-friendly deal for him. I mean, that's the benefit of, I, I think, having the most uh, year-over-year, like the biggest year-over-year points jump <laughs> that we've seen yep. in the Cap era. But, I mean, they got everything they needed to get done, and they got everything they needed to get done done reasonably and then they turn the pick that they got for Damon Severson's signing rights, who, who I doubt that they were even interested in uh, retaining, um, and turn it into Colin Miller. Yep. And then they also land Tyler Toffoli for, for a song. I mean, hard to think of anyone who's had a better offseason than them.
0: Yeah. Well, let's take those. The rich got richer, let's basically. Let's take those one by one. Brat. Seven point eight to m five for eight years. Those are his age twenty five through thirty two seasons. He's already worth that now. Perfect. If the cap goes up the way we think, it's just going to accrue more and more value throughout
1: those prime years. Meyer, as you mentioned, would you would you have to think long and hard? Take cap numbers out of it entirely, just players. Jesper Bratt or William Nylander. Hmm. Like, don't you think that's closer than people realize? I like both guys. I do. I saying. do love Willie though. I, I think Jesper Bratt's just like so much faster. I think he's a little more unique. Mm. I, I'm just saying it's at least a reasonable discussion point, right? So, and and I'm only bringing that well, up. Well, certainly because the
0: Leafs are not getting William Nylander at seven point five. That's what I'm five, saying. Yes.
1: Well, and and also like I'm not going to kill whatever team does end up, whether it's Toronto or anyone else, signing. William Nylander for $10 million, I think he's worth that. Yeah. It's it's more a testament to the value that I think the New Jersey Devils are getting on Brat because I, I think he's that caliber of like supporting offensive talent.
0: Certainly. And then Meyer, 8.8 for eight years. Now, there's a bit more risk there because he's further along in his career, right? So that's age 27 through 34. But...
1: And plays a style that doesn't always age well.
0: Yes. As you mentioned, though, turns 32 at the start of the 2028 20, season, right? By then... Fifty-four million of the seventy will have been paid off, and his no-trade clause moves down to from full to just fifteen teams. So, the Devils, I think, know what they're doing in that regard in terms of they're yeah. gonna they're gonna milk as much they they can out of Timo Meyer the next four years, and then deal with whatever they need to at, at
1: that point. It's a big market swing too from the Josh Harris group for you know a, a Devils franchise that hasn't traditionally been one of the like higher revenue, higher spending teams in the mm. NHL. Uh, I suppose they sort of were toward the back end of the pre-salary cap era, but, but that's because they were winning cup after cup after cup. Um, there's an element to which, you know, w- one thing to bear in mind, right, as we approach 2026 and, and what teams might look for, like is there an argument to be made, and will teams – Whose owners prefer not to spend money like this suggest perhaps that this is an example of of circumvention or at least it's providing the devils with the ability to creatively maximize the benefit of the cap because they've got this front or back loaded deal. Right. Or sorry, front loaded deal. Mm -hmm. And by paying him more cash early, they are effectively effectively manufacturing additional hockey value Mm -hmm. toward the back end. Right. Right. I, this is the sort of thing that I think drives the general managers and the owners of, like, smaller market teams or, or uh, teams that f- spend less freely, like, a little bit mad. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the NHL try and sort of create an environment where, like, contracts are what they say they are under the cap in the next CBA. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, no, I agree yeah. with you. Creativity is good for everybody. I know, of course. But, yeah. I, not not I a could, value judgment so much it's I could just see that as just something to well. monitor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, they stole Tyler Toffoli from Calgary after he made it publicly known that he wanted to leave. And the reason they were able to do so is I think every contender in the league was like, yeah, I would love Tyler Toffoli for $4.25 million. Very few of them could justify absorbing any money on any winger without like meaningfully shedding money elsewhere and like moving stuff around. At that point, it doesn't make sense, whereas New Jersey was one of the few teams that could just basically pluck him and say, yeah, we'll just add Tyler Toffoli because we can do so. And he's... He's going to be, I mean, you're obviously very familiar with Tyler Tafoli's game, having covered it closely. Like He is, I think, perfect for this team because the one thing he's not good at is he's kind of slow, so he doesn't really carry the puck up the ice that much. But he will always be on the ice with at least one, if not two, otherworldly puck carriers. And so he'll essentially just get to hang out in the slot and get one great A chance after another, especially if he's playing with Jack Hughes. And so he's going to have a monster season, I think, in his top six.
1: I think it'll be really good for them, too, on the power play, right? Mm. I think he's a really smart power play player. When he was in Vancouver, he played net front. He was great in that spot. I think he's a really good playmaker from down low, and that's a super valuable commodity, especially given all of the shooters. Like, Timo Meyer in your mind's eye, should be the guy who's down low. But uh, But I'd go... I'd go with Toffoli because he's the his playmaking from down below the goal line. I think will add a nice element for this Devils uh, team at five on four. Well,
0: and is there a bigger like jump in offensive environment than going from last year's Calgary Flames team to this version of no. the New Jersey Devils? Like that is that's
1: well, a
0: that's a that's a great spot for Tyler Toffoli to get one more big contract. I think.
1: I also think going from Thomas Tatar or Tomash Tatar mm. to Tyler Toffoli is like a big big upgrade for the devils yeah and they don't have to change you know the initials of their uh passenger second line right away. yes and
0: so they they, they bring back Bastian, bastion and mcleod right but i think they correctly deemed that their own ufas were kind of like superfluous to like what they need and so they i really don't think they gave much thought to even getting involved in it that's why when you mentioned like severson it's like i'm sure there was like a you know just a a customary call like just like oh like what's what yeah, do you what do you, th- you th- what do you thinking here thank you for your time but there's never really considered i don't think
1: you know we're willing to sign you for an eighth year and trade you if there's a team interested and you have permission to go find figure that out
0: well and think about this so severson gets 50 million over four years from columbus ryan graves gets 27 Sorry, million you get eight over eight years yeah. yeah 50 50 million over eight ryan graves gets 27 million over six years from pittsburgh miles wood is one of the most shocking terms that I oh saw my gets six years, 15 million from that? the Avs. I think just to keep his AAV down as much as possible. Wild though. All nice players, not ones they needed. And think about that. Those are like the three biggest terms I think that we saw of any players switching teams get and significant money. And I don't think the Devils are any worse off for it, which just speaks to the position they were in to begin with, right? And like now you look at this blue line, it's like, all right, we lose Severson and Graves. They get Colin Miller for a 2025 fifth or something, and he'll be basically either him or Brendan Smith can kind of just rotate as a third pair right shot. But I really want to see that that Simone Nimitz. Luke Luke Hughes. Supercharged third pair where they get the the 90% offensive zone starts against just the other team's bottom six and just absolutely roast them in the, in those minutes. I'm sure at some point Hughes will play himself into
1: a top four with Marino, but... Um, well, Nemec might too. I mean, Nemec was historically good in the American League for a D plus one defenseman. Yeah. I mean, these are not, you know, run-of-the-mill young players, right? <laughs> these guys are top five draft pedigree and have sort of shown since their draft year that they were well worth those picks, so... No, I mean, the Devils are absolutely laughing. And, and you know, I, I think they're, what, they've got the fourth best cup odds. This I think they position themselves
0: moment. as, like, a favorite in the East, I think. I think so, too. There's a lot of work to be done between now and the playoffs, certainly. Well, but
1: Vegas thinks so, too, too. Like, the only team with better Stanley Cup odds than the New Jersey Devils is the Toronto Maple Leafs mm. at the moment. And that's, you know, reflective of them being a public team more than anything.
0: I mean... The point that I want to make about all this is the reason why they were able like why they've been so efficient and why they're able to do this stuff is having Jack Hughes and Nico Hischier signed for fifteen point two five million yep. for essentially like the meat of their twenties, like the rest of their prime seasons, is is that the biggest competitive advantage that any contender has? Right now, now that Nathan McKinnon is getting paid like a salary that's reflective of of, yeah. of his value. Like it feels like it is. And so all of a sudden, you can just go out and you're afforded this luxury of just basically splurging on all these auxiliary pieces. It's like, do we need Timo Meyer? Not necessarily. I'm sure we could kind of make it work and piece together with an inferior winger, but we have the room. So why not? Let's go get him. And then they get him, they retain him. Same with Brat. They go out and add to Foley. And like, this is how you build your team proactively as opposed to always being one step behind and paying everyone what they're actually worth because that's really tough a way to build out your roster in a cap world.
1: The Alex Newhook deal that got signed today by Montreal, so that's four times 2.9 million. Now, I- I'm not the biggest Alex Newhook fan. I mean, we watched those Kraken Avalanche games in the first round, right? And it was like, you know, Newhook was among the players that we sort of came away from that game thinking, like, the Avs kind of need to upgrade on these guys, right?
0: Yeah, I was like, is that Alex Newhook was playing in those
1: games? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And yet, you know, you just got 30 points in consecutive seasons, and maybe Montreal still views him as a center, but... I mean, once you sign a guy at four times two point nine, right? Like two point nine million, it's like if you're a average third liner, you're basically you're basically providing value. Like all of a sudden, Newhook doesn't need to be the guy we thought he could be coming out of Dib One, where, when he was just destroying the NCAA. Yep. he can just be like middle six supporting offensive guy, thirty five points at five on five, and he's worth three million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like. All of a sudden you've got runway and you contrast that with, for example, Vancouver gets Niels Hoaglander done 1.1 times 2. Uh, that's probably like 300, 350k cheaper than we would have expected a player with Niels Hoaglander's scoring track record, which by the way is not a ton different than Alex Newhooks over the course of their ELCs. Right, mm-hmm. It's like a, a 10 point difference. Right, um, That's like less than we would have expected Hoaglander to come in at on a two year deal. And to get that locked in this early in the summer without like the grind of you know the the classic wait till the eve of training camp with your non-arbitration eligible rfa second contract guy like to get certainty and, and a low cap number like that is is good but it's better to sign the new hook deal because the the bar is so low now for what new hook needs to provide montreal the the downside is negligible because his age allows a one-thirds buyout if he really does not level up to be anything whatsoever and the potential upside is massive and i think the hughes and he bets are just like the absolute apex version of that it's like it'd be cool to have one nathan mckinnon but you know it would be really cool would be to do it twice and that's what the De- that's what the devils did with their one and two c's uh he and especially hughes like those numbers caused some sticker shock mm. when they were first done. Now, I also think there were a lot of people who said, well, you can recreate, you know, I think, especially with the Hughes deal where it was yeah. like, wow, what a great, smart bet to take advantage of Hughes's slow start to his yeah, career. Yeah, like, what are
0: the chances that his shooting percentage will remain 6% or whatever it
1: was? Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. So, I think we, we could see it coming, but the point is, is... If you're not placing those bets where the number scares you a little bit and makes you a little bit uncomfortable, you're also not placing a bet that has a chance to make a huge difference for your team New hook on, on a very small scale yeah at least has that opportunity if he becomes a top six guy and you get like two years of top six cal, uh, contributions for 2.9, it's still not heesher and um, and Jack Hughes at 15 combined but like that's how. That's how you can build a team with the sort of depth you require to contend these days.
0: Well, I wasn't even going to get to that now, but I guess it it would make sense to touch on it a little bit here. One of the other themes that I was thinking about over the past week or so was this idea of kind of like to bridge or not to bridge, especially for mm. for young defensemen, right? We saw the Avs, and, and that's I think a unique circumstance because with, uh, Byram. with Byram going the two years, because there is so much like uncertainty around his health, right? Like I understand that from well, I'm, from I'm, that I'm perspective. sure from the
1: player's perspective, like you don't want to sign off of the durability issues you've had when you're as good as Bowen Byram and as young is, as you are for like the,
0: yeah. the most productive seasons theoretically your
1: career. I mean, is there any doubt in your mind? Like, if I, I, I told you you can have one guy for tomorrow to play with Kale McCarr, Bowen Byram or Devon Taves, like, it's close, right? Yeah. It's close. Yeah. And yet, don't you think Devon Taves is going to be like an $8.5 million player Absolutely. next summer? So, um, you know, it's it's hard to commit long-term in Bowen Byram's situation, I think.
0: Well, the other two guys, though, are Evan Bouchard with the Oilers, right? Where. I mean, they just kind of don't have a choice at this point. Maybe yep. if they had bought out or found someone to take Jack Campbell off their hands, they could have opened up enough money.
1: Yeah, good luck with that, right? But
0: going like a two-year bridge with him.
1: What about CeCe?
0: I still don't know if it's enough, right? Because they have five point six million in space right now, with both him and Ryan McLeod as R.F.A.s.
1: Yeah, and McLeod's arbitration eligible. Yes,
0: right? and so with if you go two years with Bouchard, he's going to be I think twenty-six when that expires. And what's his value going to be considering that he's coming off a stretch now where he had 36 points in 33 games after Tyson Berry got dealt? Like, if there was a bet on a player to be worth almost twice as much on the open market or, like, what their contractual value is compared to now, he would be right up there on top of that list,
1: right? Or scarier if you walk him to arbitration. Yeah. And he's going to have, you know, second or third most five-on-five minutes, power play one, it's like... Uh, you know, Mr. Arbitrator, sir, I, I, <laughs> I
0: my case speaks for itself. My,
1: my client runs the first power play unit from the point, and that power play unit is historically the best. The best ever. And yeah. he's got a point per game over the last two years. Like arbitrator, just like laughs and and gives you your reward.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think Keandre Miller is obviously not going to put up that level of offensive counting stats, right? But he's also a player where I would. Like he's 24 right now. I would just, if I were the Rangers and I was in their shoes, I would just be trying to get him for the rest of his 20s under any circumstances well, possible. Spe- right now,
1: especially because his player type, yeah, is the one that I'm most leery about wanting to sign into their 30s. Mm. You know, and that's not um not a not a criticism of Candor Miller, but so much of his value is tied up in playing a physical offensive style, yeah. right? Like, yeah, and skating ability, and but but also he's a player who hits a lot and takes a lot of hits. Mm. And those are the guys you have to be really careful about, over committing to into their thirties. Yeah. In my, in my view, anyway, he's the guy. He's the guy you want absolutely want to buy their entire twenties right away, if you can.
0: Yeah, especially since I think he's he ha- does have like much more to offer offensively than he's shown at this point. And you see it sort of in these like electrifying flashes. And it might be one of those things where it never actually he's not going to probably do that on a regular basis. But I think there's more in there than than he's shown. So. Um,
1: well, they've also, they've also been so stuck in their pairs. Mm. It's like, how, how often have we seen Miller Fox minutes five on five? Yeah. I mean, we've seen it, but not, not, not as much, yeah. you know, like, uh, I mean, there's, it, it feels like they're still scratching the surface in New York of their potential with an awful lot of their young players in part because there just hasn't been much open mindedness to, to try different solutions given, wow. given their lineup.
0: Uh, so do you think that's going to change under Peter Laviolette's Who tutelage? Who knows. Um, one final note on the Devils before we move on. We should cover other teams here. Although um, well, the Devils are awesome, so why why yeah, why why wouldn't we uh, why wouldn't we talk about them as much as possible? If you let's say you you pencil in Alexander Holtz as their 12 forward right now, okay. and then you give Kevin Ball a reasonable RFA deal that he'll probably sign because he doesn't have a lot of leverage. Also,
1: Kevin Ball's good, by the way. He is,
0: but he's not going to command, like, right, he doesn't have a lot of leverage in terms of, like, he's... He's a defensive defenseman with limited accounting and no
1: arbitration rights.
0: Let's say you bake both of those two contracts into their cap sheet. The amount you have left over, if you combined Vitek Vanacek's $3.4 million salary, comes out to nearly the perfect amount for one Connor Halibut. Wow. I love that. So I think a Vanacek with futures, whether it's some prospects or picks or whatever, um, is very doable. Now I understand why New Jersey would be hesitant just because of like an extension or whatever. Like I wouldn't even, I would almost take it one year at a time and just try to win a Stanley Cup this season. But if you are serious about winning a Stanley Cup, and as you said, they have the fourth best odds, and I think you and I would both view them as one of the best, if not the best teams in the East, it's a conversation you at least need to have, so... I wanted to throw that out there. Um, the, because it's, that, that conversation has died down a little bit, right? At, at the start of the off season, there was a lot of hellebuck noise. And then now with him and Shifley, like, no one's really talked about it at all. So.
1: The thing that I think the Devils have to be really conscious of here, too, is, you know, when was the last time we saw a team add a goaltender in midseason and that goaltender get hot and lead them on a run? You know, uh, Dwayne Rollison, have we seen it since then? Uh, so... I mean, you
0: know, goalies move so rarely in season two, though, right?
1: Totally, but when they do, it feels like yeah, it feels like it takes them a bit mm-hmm. to adjust to what they're trying to do in front of them. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think if you're going to get Hellebuck, and I definitely would love if they did something like that, because you know, the, the only the only flaw in that roster is in net, and I don't even think it's a flaw. It's just it could be better. Hellebuck to me is is truly elite, and. Yeah, I mean, he would have the same vibe that Vasilevsky has so often had in Tampa Bay, where it's like, wow, they're unfairly good, and they've got Vasilevsky, and that's like the the that's a sweet spot to be in if mm. you're an NHL team.
0: Okay, here's my segue for you. We both agree the Devils rock, right? We really enjoy them. We were high on them heading into the season. We were vindicated. Another team we were high on. We were
1: vindicated. Let's just remove the Anaheim Ducks from that. Well, we'll though. also we'll also talk about <laughs> Anaheim Ducks. Don't you
0: worry. Another team we were high on, though, that I simply cannot be talked out of being irrationally excited about, maybe it's rational, though, is our Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, uh, A team I'm just deeply, deeply excited about. And I can't wait to watch them next season. I think they're building something really special that's going to extend for well beyond that. And nothing they've done so far this off season has done anything to cool me off in that regard. No. Adding Zach Benson after he slipped to them at 13th overall in the draft. Oh, what a home run. Absolute slam dunk. I think at EP Ringside we had him fifth overall. He's as likely as anyone other than that, I guess, top three fifth to be o- like an o- impact player out of this class.
1: Fifth overall at EP Ringside, number one in our hearts,
0: undoubtedly. I mean, that level of puck skill with the motor in terms of forechecking is is almost a combination that can't fail in today's game.
1: Guy, guy is what second in WHL history at, at scoring as a sixteen and seventeen year old. Right, number one's Bedard. And up until like the last week of the regular season, he had more shorthanded than power play goals. Mm. <laughs> like, come on!
0: So you add him to a group of four prospects that includes Yuri Kulich, who had 31 goals in 74 AHL games as an 18 year old. Noah Oslin, who they really took 16th overall. Matthew Subway, who did it, they took ninth. Who is the inferior player on that Winnipeg Ice team this season? Um, but also, Just only because of how good Zach Benson yeah, but is,
1: also sick, and of course those two are are good friends yep
0: and Isaac Rosen who they also took 14th overall previously not to mention
1: Jack Quinn who's unfortunately hurt now but he's 22
0: and will be back Paterka Cousins Krebs and then Tuck and Tage are like the old guys at 26 and 27 um it's obviously a very scintillating forward group now the reason why I wanted to talk about them here is the one big move they did make in free agency was bringing in Connor Clifton right Mm -hmm. and if you listen to this podcast and you previously thought, well, this guy talks way too much about Connor Clifton. I got some news for you this year. I will be talking even more about <laughs> Connor Clifton. Um, uh, is
1: Connor Clifton one of your guys? Absolutely. Yeah, is. He's been I, one of my guys for a long time too. Oh,
0: I mean, I was, I was absolutely furious when the Seattle Kraken took Jeremy Lozon over him in the expansion draft and simply could not be talked down. Yeah, no, know. And, uh, and then people were like, why do you care so much about this? And so I had to move on and find other.
1: They, they other ended up topics. getting a good return for Lozon. They did, yeah.
0: But Clifton, so three years, 3.33 per for his age 20, 28 through 30 seasons. And like he's listed at 5'11. And I think that's why people aren't very high on him. But he plays.
1: Like a Mack truck?
0: He plays like you'd think Brandon Carlo should play at 6'4 or 6'5 or whatever he's listed at. Um, now, certainly like. Makes mistakes sometimes just because he plays he's a defenseman. Well, no, but he also plays above his me- like uh, plays above his means in the sense that sometimes he tries to do like Kale McCarr stuff at, totally. out of no out of nowhere, and you're just yep. like you're Connor Clifton. Uh, <laughs> but I think like Don Granato showed that one of his strengths as a coach right now is like he's very comfortable in just allowing players to be cool, and I think that's a very valuable skill as a coach for a young team.
1: the, the so uh, I'll tell you a quick story. The Sabers beat the Canucks soundly. And Tage Thompson ripped their heart out, and I was there in Buffalo, and I saw the game live. And by the way, there was like 5,000 people. This was like the Nadir Buffalo Sabres at the start of the, what, 2021-2022 campaign. Cap. And they, they destroyed the Canucks. It was like a 5-3 victory. The, the reeling Canucks had like a, a bag skate practice in Chicago the next day. It was, it was hilarious. And after the game, I'm talking to a Buffalo Sabres player in the bowels of that rink. And I said, "Oh, you guys are fun!" And he said, "It's the funnest hockey I've ever played." Complimenting Granado's mm-hmm. coaching style, in particular, he said, "We skate fast and we don't hit anybody. It rules." <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Connor Clifton's certainly going to try to hit people. So <laughs>
1: yeah, Connor Clifton's going to run people over, no question. So I like that, and
0: I also I like that it gives them like they brought in Eric Johnson, or whatever. I think like that's kind of more like good vibes, a veteran presence. Well,
1: but, but, but you know what? Really quickly though, Eric Johnson. One thing that people he struggled last year. I think I think I
0: think his time might be up in this league.
1: it might be. But lots of teams go out and get that like third Mm pair guy. Like the one thing about Eric Johnson that I don't think really appreciated is is just how outrageously unique he is in terms of his dimensions. Yeah. Like there was a there was a long period of time where this guy was like what six foot four, six foot five.
0: Are you you suggesting that he's
1: not? Six foot four anymore? No, he still is, but he's just <laughs> back in the day. He there was, was once a
0: time where he was tall, and now no, he's not. But back in the day, he
1: was also one of the like fastest. Like people couldn't yeah. get the puck off him. Of it, never, yeah. it never mattered in terms of him being like an elite offensive defenseman because he wasn't. Yeah. But there was a certain uniqueness to his profile. I like given the pedigree defensemen that they have, who also have you know a unique size and 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 gifts both in Dolin and and obviously Owen Power. Mm-hmm. I think bringing in you know, a first overall guy who struggled to meet expectations and has recently won the Cup. Like, there's there's something about the vibes fit of, of Eric Johnson in Buffalo that I, I, it feels particularly sharp as one of those character bets. And it's a one-year deal, right? Like yeah, i you're no, You're not no, going to no, get, sure. get
0: worked up regardless. But, you know, last year, Power played 700 minutes with Yoki Haru, 235 with Dalian, 177 with Clegg, 172 with Labushkin, 113 with Bryson, 112 with Samuelson. Like... I think finding him a reliable partner who allows him to play the way he should be playing, which unfortunately Henry Yokiharu was not, mm-hmm. uh, is huge. I'm not sure if that is Connor Clifton, but I think he's got a better chance of doing so. And I think there's, like, mentioned untapped potential with, with Kendrick Miller. I mean, Owen Power, like, what he's capable of, if he's able to tap into that, is just going to be out of this world. And so I think it could happen as soon as next year because we too. saw a lot of it. Uh, last year, but
1: I, I think you could see. I think when, when maybe before the season, when we're doing a breakout yeah. show or something like, I, I'm going to be hammering the the table for Owen Power is going to emerge as you know up f- on the fringes of Norris ballots quality player next season. They like, do. I really think that's a cut.
0: They gonna they come. They do have nine defensemen signed to NHL deals though, which I I find interesting in terms of how this roster is going to shake out and what their plan is, what they're going to try to do, and they haven't done anything in net yet either, right? And so. I'm not sure if going into the season with Eric Comrie and Devin Levi is gonna be the plan. I think they're kinda of trying to wait out this market and see if something falls into their
1: lap, but it might. Yeah. It, it might. might. And and I mean, the way the goalie market shaped up in unrestricted free agency, I think everyone who didn't place a bet there did bet, did is is wise to have done so. Right. Yep. Um Buffalo, by the way, last I checked the, the Vegas odds was twenty five to one. To win the Stanley Cup they had like worse odds than the Minnesota Wild they had worse odds than like they're in the same range as like Calgary like slightly better than Winnipeg mm. there's no way like I, I I think that's the best bet on the board right now in, t- in terms of like one of the long shot futures yeah. just because all of the teams in and around their area just I can't even make the upside case for them emerging as a cup favorite yeah but like I can see the upside case for Buffalo. So uh, just just spotlighting that one to um you know bet vicariously through PDOcast listeners. Well they also
0: have so I mean it's not going to happen but they have so many ways they can also theoretically improve, mm-hmm. right? Like and that's the thing. A lot of these teams are so boxed in in terms of their ceiling of like even in the best case scenario they just they don't have room to spread their wings whereas not only can the Sabres make more moves, but their young players can also just take significant leaps. Totally. So um they're going to lead the league in vibes, though. That's for sure. So even if they don't win the Stanley Cup, they'll uh, They'll win that. The, the,
1: uh, over under 42.5 Buffalo Sabres games you'll watch this year. Well, like, uh, Mash the over I would, for
0: me. I would set that line at 81.5, and I'll take the over. <laughs> uh, Tom, let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll try to rapid fire through at least a couple more teams. You're listening to the Hockey HockeypedioCast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on the Hockeypedio cast joined by Thomas Dranz. Tom, while we were on break, we found out that Keandre Miller did in fact sign a two-year bridge for a 3.9 per, so... The New York Rangers were not listening to us uh, while we were recording here in this little studio, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, let's keep it moving. I'll give you the floor here. Do you want so to- That's move,
1: by the way. Can we just do the yeah, editorial? Cool.
0: Of course. Should have been, yeah. yeah. Just, I would bet on Keiondre Miller for the next All eight day. years, of course. Um, but once again, very boxed in financially, they needed to get away, get out from
1: under the uh, Barkley Goodrow deal, and they weren't able to, and so- The contrast, though, between the patience of the devils- Yes. Right? And the- push chips into the middle of the table constantly, Rangers, Mm. I think is only going to grow starker in the years ahead, especially given that the Rangers had a brief shining moment where they looked like the NHL's model rebuild and look like they've maybe capped the ceiling of what they can be.
0: Okay. So, well, I'll give you the floor here then. Do you want to keep talking about rebuilding situations and talk about how teams weaponized cast face or lacked Lack thereof in yeah. terms of efficiency, or do you want to keep talking about the state of the Atlantic division since we did talk about the Sabres before the break?
1: I, I'm interested in both. Uh, the one thing I'd just say is I, I do think when you look at how the market developed all summer, it felt like teams this time around, facing what they believe clearly to be one last flat cap offseason, just weren't willing to pay the freight. Mm. Like no one was willing to pay to get off of their mistakes, we saw, you know, Mike Riley and Ekman Larson and Blake Wheeler, like, everyone was bought out as opposed to... Shane, even, well, yeah,
0: yeah. I guess, yeah, even Brian Johansson, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and I'd argue that Anaheim was, like, the one team kind of willing... Sorry, Nashville and Philadelphia were, like, the two teams that were kind of willing to pay the freight to get off of some of their problem deals, Uh, but basically it was a... You know, two of 32 teams were willing to really do that. We weren't, we just didn't see teams like attach high value futures to get off of bad contracts or to solve their problems. Teams just weren't going to play in that market. And I think that's context that we have to keep in mind in understanding how the likes of Anaheim and and Chicago and, you know, even Nashville to a lesser extent sort of approached this offseason as as rebuilding teams.
0: Was it because teams weren't willing to pay the freight or because the bad teams who could facilitate it weren't
1: necessarily ambitious enough. Well, I mean, I think there's an understanding now. Like, if you're going to do a deal with Carolina, you're going to pay the freight. Yeah. And it just felt like those deals weren't there. Like, teams were willing to part with Taylor Hall and Riley Smith. Like, we we saw teams willing to part with useful players for virtually free. I just don't think we really saw – Teams really willing to invest. I, I guess in, yeah, we weren't really willing. to, We, we didn't see teams be willing to really invest right. in clearing cap space. I guess the only exception there would be LA, paying the second and, to get off a of better uh, Peterson. So of Peterson to get off. So used to saying
0: uh, Marcus and Elias Peterson. <laughs> I know, I know Calvin Peterson
1: <laughs> to get off Cal and uh, and Walker as well. And even there, like the cost wasn't that. No. Outrageous. Not
0: compared to what it we've seen in the past.
1: So it, it just felt like a very odd summer for that. And and I think that did kind of hurt rebuilding teams to some extent. I don't know that the teams that were careful to manage their cap space cleaned up the way I anticipated them to.
0: Well, I mean, the Blackhawks, you know, in, and we should say, a successful attempt to just completely unabashedly tank for Connor Bedard. Yep gutted their roster right and so they entered this offseason with virtually I think, unlimited I think 40 cap space. million or so in cap yeah. space and so they had an endless supply of camp sp- cap-, cap space and a distinct lack of NHL players right and so you were very interested in what they would do understandably so because it felt like they could facilitate any move they wanted right totally. it was like you want to grab a good player from another team you can probably grab as many of them as you want you want to Get involved in some creative three-teamers to help kind of act as a third-party broker. You can do that if you want, and we didn't really see them do that. Like they no. got Taylor Hall, and that was pretty much it, right? They took Josh Bailey off the hands of the Islanders for like, I would say, forty cents on the dollar. Like, yeah. like they certainly did not maximize value there, and maybe it's because of a lack of options. I just think that they're, without being privy to some of these conversations, like I find it hard to believe there weren't. Like more kind of innovative ways to do this. Yeah. Like for example, here's an example. If the Capitals, who clearly wanted to be involved in free agency this offseason, right, they bring in a couple guys, they make that Joel Edmondson trade, they they made it known they wanted to get off of Anthony Mantha's five point seven. If the Blackhawks take that and retain half of it and flip it to say Edmonton in exchange for Warren Fogle, right, it's a cap neutral move essentially. I assume Ken Holland still really likes Anthony Manta. He's certainly struggled the past couple of years, but he's also a powerful in his 20s who's not that long removed from being a coveted goal scorer. Way
1: more upside than Fogle.
0: I assume you could probably get both those teams to pay you to do so. Yeah. Not, not like a first-rounder, of course, but no. like I'm sure they could have gotten multiple assets in totality from a move like that. Now, I just... I find it hard to believe that that was probably ever even explored or
1: talked yeah. about, or and so. Well, and then you get paid again when you retain half on Fogel and flip him, <laughs> of course, right? Yeah. Just
0: literally, it's like a, it's a domino. Just keep, keep doing. Totally.
1: It. Well, and I mean, they're clearly trying to do that with Felino and Corey Perry, but I think there's a real risk. Well, doesn't those... the four
0: doesn't the four million almost make it like hard for yeah, most like, actual
1: contenders to I would think so? Because two million, ahead. two million is like on the high end for yeah. both those guys. You know, I, I even thought they would have been better off going uh, going out and offering Killorn like 10 times one. You know yeah. what I mean? Because with double retention at 2-5, um, that to me is the sort of trade asset that I, that I really want to have come deadline season as opposed to Perry at 2 million or Felino at 2 million, which to me is like roughly their market value for a contender team or contending team. Yeah.
0: So they spent twenty three million, and to show for it, they have Taylor Hall, Andreas Athanasiou, Nick Felino, Ryan Donato, and Josh Bailey's buyout.
1: And I, so I, I like Ryan Donato.
0: Yeah, it was it was fine, <laughs> uh, and I get the logic of like bringing in these like reliable veterans to you know help Adar's transition and all that. And regardless of what they did this summer, it wouldn't have really mattered in terms of like making them competitive because there's such a long road ahead. I just thought there was potentially kind of more creative stuff that they could have done, and and it might not seem like it matters that much now, but I think you and I both agree like there's an art to this and gaining small edges wherever you can eventually does start to matter in the long run once you're ready to become good. So, um, the ducks, let's lump them in here as well. They signed your boy, Alex Killorn 6.25 for four years, which was the most egregious signing of off season. I, I, I know that the, the miles Woods six years was pretty tough, but, um, Alex Kaloran for his age 34 to 37 seasons. Radko Goudis for his age 33 to 35 seasons. I actually like the Goudis one, and I still prefer both of these moves to spending 35 on Strom and Vetrano like they did last summer. Yeah. Um, it won't really matter just because they, they still have like 30 million in cap space with uh, Terry and Zegris and Drysdale, I believe, to sign their RFA deals. But um, I don't know. Do you have any any notes on Kaloran and Goudis here, or the Ducks? Because yeah. you mentioned them earlier, right? Like We were both... Very disappointed in their showing last season and I still have hope that they can get there from an entertainment level. Um, but man, last year was last year was bleak.
1: I can't ever seem to talk myself out of Ducks off season moves. And Calorne and Radko Gudis are like two of my absolute favorites.
0: Well, before we found out the terms for the Calorne deal, when I just we we found out that they were bringing in Kalorin, and we knew they brought in Gudas. I sent you the Godfather just when I thought I was out. You <laughs> yeah. me back in. And I was like, ah, oh, they got me again. I know they got me
1: again. Yeah, too. and well, and even once I saw the term, like if you're going to overpay some guys, make sure they're one of one. Mm. You know, Radko Gudas is the defensive defenseman that people think of when they talk about defensive defensemen, as opposed to all the other guys who are, you know, jeans models right mm. like they, that look the part but aren't necessarily as effective as, as Radko has been over the course of his career i almost see him as like the shane battier of hockey right it's like winning streaks and outrageous performances for on, on a team level have kind of followed Radko around his whole career um
0: our, is our, our our preseason content going to be our guys our our long shot picks yeah. aka show out the sabers and yeah. then our, our jeans model guys, <laughs> yeah, jeans. I,
1: you know what I'm saying? Like, of course, the, yeah. The guys who look the part, but yeah. they don't actually get it done. Radko Gudas looks the part, and he gets it done. And those suits are incredible. Mm. Uh, and then Kalorn, I mean, again, one of one. I, I was I remember being really surprised that everyone was so sure the Kraken would take Yon Yon Gord, and mm. I, quite rightly, just because I thought Kalorn. I mean, where where else do you find a guy who's you know a pretty consistent like 50 point 25 goal top of the lineup caliber power forward who's yeah, his two way results are beginning to fall off a little bit here, but I mean he's a really special player and has been his whole career. The
0: thing that I don't like for a team like the Ducks here, and it, it won't matter because they're not gonna have enough good expensive players three years, four years from now anyways yeah. to matter. But it's unnecessarily restricting in terms of like you have so much cap space now that I I would prefer it. Like is Alex Kaloran turning down a twelve million dollar one year deal? Like if you really just want to bring him in as like a guy to have around some of these young players and then creatively move him at the deadline to compete for another Stanley Cup. Like maybe he wants to be somewhere for four years and that's what it would have taken him to get him out of Tampa Bay. There's also the fact that your owner has to probably sign off on a twelve million dollar salary in one yeah. season as opposed to stre- spreading it out over four oh, years. Yeah. But um Well I just
1: the the thing is is it's it's not the twelve guaranteed versus twenty four guaranteed, right? Twenty five guaranteed, which Kalorn actually signed. It's that you spend twelve now, and then, right? You're still going to spend a bunch in years two, three, and four. Um, look, I, I would have loved to see someone make Kalorn a massive one year offer. I thought this was a perfect yeah. summer to do it. I thought Chicago was like, I, I mean, you'll uh, you'll vouch for me. Like I was obsessed with the fact that Chicago should go and make Clorin the highest-paid player in the league for one year. That, that was like a, a thing I really wanted to see and that I thought would have been a smart move. But at the end of the day, you know, I think one thing we saw, not just from Anaheim, but from Perry and Felino in Chicago, and then also from Shen and Ryan O'Reilly in Nashville is, you know, the teams that have a lot of cap space are teams that have a lot of young players. Mm-hmm. And the teams who have a lot of young players want solid, upstanding citizens, right? you talk to anybody who's covered or worked with Gudis Kalorn, um you know O'Reilly Luke Shen some of these guys I can vouch for personally yep. like they're the best right they that you talk to media that have covered them they're the best quotes in the room they're the easiest guys to deal with like they're a good time at the rink mm. they're they're pros in, in a meaningful way and you know th- those are the sorts of players that these teams clearly wanted to sign if you're not if you're just a good player and not also a good dude, what we've sort of learned this summer is that you kind of limit your market, mm. especially in a world where cap space is so restrained league-wide.
0: There you go. That's a life lesson. Be a better person and good things will come your way.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but also, uh, I will say, on, on, on the goodest note, the Ducks were so egregiously bad defensively last year that it was almost became impossible to evaluate anyone, right? It's like when you're just giving up four goals against and 40 shots against every single game everyone is going to look bad. And so they change their coach. They're going to change the personnel. They also have both your boy, Zellweger, and Minchikov coming up as left shots. And so, I, I I, mean, I can think of guys who would be better caddies for them, but Gudis G- 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 is a nice yeah. sort of placeholder as a bridge for those guys to enter the NHL and not just be immediately drowning. And so I, I like that from that perspective. The Ducks have a long way to go to build back the trust that's eroded in our relationship with them. But uh, I'll be watching again next season.
1: Nah, if, uh, I mean, look, if Minchukov and Zellweger oh, are on oh, that yeah. team next year, I'm yeah. I'm so yeah. in. No doubt about it.
0: Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the Predators? You mentioned O'Reilly and Shen there. I mean, they were certainly... Barry
1: Trotz's serial winners.
0: They've been the most active team since the start of the... I mean, even dating back to the trade deadline, right? Um, pretty much since Barry Trotz came in. Uh, you were stuck in Nashville I was. as other media members were, but you you started you started covering the Predators there went, for a little bit. I went and
1: heard Barry's. Uh, so first of all, it was Barry Trotz's first official day as GM, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he'd obviously been busy, yeah. And he opens the availability and speaks. He's got like a he's got notes prepped on every guy they signed, including like the guys who are like Milwaukee bound, right? right? And and it was like a twenty five minute opener in which he just explained who they signed, why they signed them, and what he was doing, mm. in which he referred to Shen and O'Reilly repeatedly as serial winners. Yeah. And, you know, by the time, like, if I had a better relationship with Barry, who I've never covered before. Yeah, right, it was your first day on the job. Yeah, my, my, my joke would have been like, Barry, I know it's your first day on the job, but, like, you can leave some of the work to <laughs> us, right? Like, that would have been my joke if it was the Canucks. Um, and I thought that in real time. The, the you know... <laughs> so, I, I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. One thing is, if you go back and watch that availability, uh, Trot specifically credited Luke Shen with turning the series between the Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning in the 2020 bubble. He okay. was like, Luke Shen's physicality turned that series. And, and I was like, I was watching that series, man. Like, it was Cooch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure it was Kucherov. I mean, um, they're
0: pretty much the same
1: players. So. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I liked – here's what I like about Nashville – I liked that they shut down all their guys last year and then got just a bunch of absolute, you know, run through a brick wall performances from like Thomas Novak yeah. and, and uh, Cody Glass. And, well, like,
0: those was finally started. Like, they're like, all right, Philip Donacino, you're actually going to get a chance here. Totally. And it's like,
1: yes, they probably should have been doing this all along. And most of those guys were like just as good. Now, yeah. their underlying numbers yeah, stunk. Yeah. Soros hid an awful lot of issues. And when I sort of asked Trotz about it, he specifically pointed to that. He was like... You could see we'd sort of found our level. Like, mm. he, he knew. He wasn't buying it. Right. And I appreciate that because he's right. But I think when you combine that energy that we saw last year with, you know, Roman Yossi, Philip Barry, and, and, and Philip Forsberg, and, and UC Soros. Yeah. And, you know, then you bring in guys as fun as ROR and Shen. It's just like, I don't know that Nashville going to be good. But I don't think they're gonna be bad and I think they're going to have a blast. Like I just think it's gonna be a fun time at the rink for every member of the National Predators next season and especially with Andrew yeah, on tempo say. system. Like yeah, you know, that's gonna be that's gonna be like Buffalo Sabres ish in terms of like, you know, we skate fast, we don't hit, and we have a great time. Like, yeah, they're they're gonna have a great time.
0: Yeah. Uh going from Heinz to Brunette and if they actually are gonna start giving these guys a real chance, like like Tomasino, like Yusuf Parson and like some of these guys that were playing in Milwaukee. I I like that quite a bit. I mean, since we started recording, they also signed Dennis Guriano for one year. It's like, just give me all of these like random guys who I could see having memorable nights at the rink. Like, yeah, I think they're going to be a fun time.
1: Gurianov's perfect too, because I legitimately think if you put him at the right half wall on a decent power play unit, like, I mean, maybe he's never the player I thought he could be. No three years. I think, ago? Yeah, I think that ship has sailed. But but, but could he be could he be like a, a low rent version of Mike Hoffman? Like a DH who just like absolutely tunes it on the power play? I think he could be that.
0: Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen that.
1: I know, um, but he can do it. Like you don't lose the ability to be like a high end I can
0: tell you watch that star's Golden Knight series in Yikes. the bubble. Unbelievable. Yeah.
1: I was blown away. Yeah. Um, I had so much Guryanov stuff. Yeah, me too. Me too. It was like, hmm,
0: like, Guryanov or Hint. Uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, I – so what was interesting about the Preds, though, was – and I think this ties into what you are saying there about, like, this idea of bringing in O'Reilly and Shannon, just, like, having guys you want at the rink and sort of just changing whether – you know, we kind of scoff at this idea of, like, culture and all that, right? But, like, it seems like that really was the motivation for – just getting Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne out the door, because even if they're not worth what their salaries were, they're still like useful players and they didn't really need that, those cap savings. It seems like it purely was a matter of just let's start fresh. Right. Like that, that seems like that would be the logic behind what they did because you look at it now and it's like, all right, we're paying Ryan Johansson and Duchesne and Kyle Turris like twelve million million two two years from now. Right. It's, it would, which might be irrelevant because I don't think they're going to be a Stanley Cup contender. I, I but I think they like they wanted to fundamentally change what the organization is, and that was kind of a means to an end in that regard.
1: It felt pretty Minnesota Wild esque, don't you think? Right. Like it felt very much like the parise suitor thing, where in order to take a step forward in terms of how they wanted to compete as a group, they were willing to take a step back in terms of tying their hands cap wise short term
0: if you don't have 15 million dollars in cap charges what are you what are you even doing at this point right
1: (laughs) at the end of the day i respect that yeah i respect the i cover the vancouver canucks and Mm -hmm. the vancouver canucks are in once again on a core group that like i really struggle to buy into the notion that they're skill sets are complementary in a way that leads to like big time winning in the NHL. You know, I I think having the guts to be like, Hey, what we're doing isn't working. Right. I I think that's an underrated aspect of, of being an NHL GM. I I think it takes real stones to be like, yeah, we were a, a 90 point team, but I, I way preferred watching this group of scrappy overachieving 20 year olds work their tails off toward the end of the season Let's bolster that. Yeah, even if it comes at the expense of our true talent and you know some some short term cap flexibility. So I, I'm I'm here, I'm here for the Barry Trotz new era in Nashville. I think.
0: Well, there's yeah, there's also something to be said for just entertainment value as well, right? Totally. And, and, and 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 like the honeymoon period might be short if like they start playing. And it's like all right, this isn't what I envisioned, but I'm at least excited to see like. Gustav Nyquist is on this team now. Like I, yeah. I, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to at least see how this all plays out, even if it doesn't necessarily result in anything more than maybe like a wild card well, kind of a situation. I
1: mean, and I think there's something there with Glass. Like I think there's something there with Novak. Yeah. You know, I think there's something there with Thomasino. Mm. Like I'm not gonna be stunned at all um, if the Predators are somewhere in the range of you know 85 to 93 points and and very much in the mix late in the season again. And I think that's well, when probably, you have when you have
0: UC Soros, you will, that's like right. a lock.
1: But but it's like they probably would have been there, right? If they would kept Duchesne and right. Johansson, it's just now it'll be an awful lot more interesting to watch. Yeah, and and for me that's good.
0: I love that, Tom. You've done your uh, you've put in your time here. You can go back on vacation. Yep. I'll let you still plug whatever you sure. want, even though you're not.
1: I'm not doing anything actively for the working. Rest of
0: the month you can still. July. I mean, if you want to plug our fantasy football, league, you can you can plug whatever you want.
1: Yeah, well, I mean the Super League. <laughs> going to adopt a new dynasty (laughs) format big changes coming very excited um no uh canucks talk here on sportsnet 650 we'll we'll be back in september and then theathletic.com you can catch me and Harmon covering the vancouver canucks among other writings uh but not this month Mm. starting in august check back in in august and enjoy your summer vacation everybody
0: awesome enjoy your break bud thank you to all the listeners we will be back tomorrow in the meantime you can help us out by smashing that five star button wherever you listen to the show And yeah, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.